Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the state of the rally as we kick off what appears to be a very critical week for your money. We have more key tech earnings coming our way, plus a jobs report on Friday. Our investment committee is standing by to break down what's at stake in the coming days. Joining us for the hour, Joe Terranova, Anastasia Amorosa, and Steve Weiss. First, let's get a quick check on the market on this final trading day of the month. Uh, as Mike and Melissa just mentioned, it's pretty much flat right now. We're seeing the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P just fractionally higher or lower. All three on pace for a winning week. The Dow and the S&P up about 3%, excuse me, winning month. Uh, up about 3% on the month. And then the NASDAQ, the best performer, up about 4%. Bonds easing back very slightly from Friday. And I think that's where we start. Not a lot of talk about today, Joe, but we obviously have some big action coming up later this week. Apple earnings, Amazon earnings, and the jobs report. Yeah, I think there's a couple of places we could go with that. First of all, when you're looking at Apple, when you're looking at Amazon and the earnings, I think it's important to understand that we are seeing clear evidence right now that in fact what the consensus expectation is for how we come out of this earnings recession, which is very quickly, we take the shape of a V, we're seeing the evidence to to suggest that that is real. The concern is that there would be a far longer malaise, that we would take the shape similar to the price correction of 2022, where it would take time to come out of the earnings recession and would look like a U. But we are seeing the evidence that the earnings snapback is coming, it's real. I understand that multiple expansion is the headline when we look at so far performance year to date. But underneath the surface, there are a lot of positive signs that we see right now in earnings that are suggesting that the bull trend of 2023 remains in place. All right, you want to talk about earnings more broadly. Actually, we have a, a wall, a graphic right here we can show. So earnings are actually down about 6% year over year, Anastasia, but they're 6% above what the estimates are out there. So that's what's important. <laughs> that's the important part. Joe's saying, well, I mean, what do you think about what we're seeing right here? Well, first of all, earnings for the S&P might be down 7% year over year, but that's not the case for every single sector. If you look at consumer discretionary, if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at communication services, for example, they're up significantly. They're up double digits. What's dragging down that S&P number that's down 7% is energy, it's healthcare. So I would actually say a lot of the sectors that have been driving this rally are delivering on earnings. And look, the other thing I would say, Frank, is if you think about last week, it was a picture-perfect soft landing narrative. All the data that we got. We had the Fed that is maybe essentially probably done. We've got the GDP growth that delivered 2.4% year over year, where everybody else was kind of expecting 0% coming into the year. And then, you know, the last thing we've got inflation, core PCs, not even just talking about the headline, core PC is now down to 4.1%, better than consensus. So that is a picture perfect soft landing. And then to Joe's point, you know, the earnings estimates are actually starting to go up. 
tech is higher now than what it was coming into the coming to the quarter. Communication services as well. So I think to me this rally is justified. So justify rally. Steve Weiss, I'm coming over to you. Um, we're seeing the earnings picture right now. Again, 6% above the estimates, but still 6% lower year over year. Mm -hmm. Joe's feeling like we're kind of climbing out of the so-called earnings recession. How do you take it? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that's apparent right now that it's surprising to me. And I think most who have watched Which the market. Well, I'll get there. To, it was surprising to me most who've watched the market minutes left for, for years and years. So uh, I know there'd be more if you didn't talk so long. But in any event, uh, that the market or the economy is, has withstood such massive tightening and still has continued to produce. So, uh, so, so I think that's what's interesting. And the only question is, will the reaction be delayed? I don't think so at this point. Um, but earnings always always between whatever, 65 and 75 percent of earnings always surprise the upside, no matter how negative you get, no matter how positive you get in terms of growth. So we shouldn't say, you know, say, hey, that's what's driving the market. It has been unreasonable market expansion. That's just a fact. Okay. You've never seen market market multiple expansion like this, or company multiple expansion. But we've also like never this. seen AI. We never come out of a, a you know. How many? COVID. Uh, right, right. How many other life changing things have happened? So I understand. Every, Let me ask you this, this, Frank. Okay, Please. since you bring up AI, feel free. How many companies have had their lives changed by AI, and will have their lives changed by AI in the next year, two, and three years? Well, Five? Can, can, can huh? I answer that? Anastasia, jump can, in. Can I answer that? Well, first of all, if you, if you look at Microsoft, for example, Microsoft thinks that their total addressable market is going to expand no by 50%. No question Microsoft. But Microsoft and its partners, and it's the other software companies, it's the semiconductors, the hardware, you know, you look at the industry projections out there, global AI spend should double over the next essentially three months, excuse me, three years. And I agree with you that over the next three months, probably one company but that's not, that's the not in the earnings. That's not in the earnings right. now. But and it's still going to be selective. And I've said Microsoft is the number one beneficiary of AI. That's a very obvious call. In terms of others, the spend's going to outweigh the, the advantages that they get, the earnings that they get over the next couple of years. So, yeah, you have obvious beneficiaries. You have data centers. You have cloud companies, right? More computing right. power. You need more of that. But to say that that's the reason for the expansion that we've seen in multiples, I think, is just misguided. If it is accurate, then that's that's a bubble. So look, things are going on well. We're avoiding a recession. It may be a soft land. We may not okay. even land at all. We Wait, may just. Can, can I just pick up? I thought we'd be starting off with <laughs> Apple and Amazon. We've, we've hit earnings. Can, we've hit recession with the Fed. Anastasia, go ahead. Jump just, in. just a really quick point. You know, first of all, I do agree with Steve that, you know, to attribute all of the market rally to AI, of course, that is irrational and unreasonable. And that's not what's driven the market. But I actually like Steve. I love the fact that What's not priced in is the full potential of AI. You're right. The model is, the analysts, I think, are modeling the potential of AI very conservatively. If you look at the earnings revisions for anything outside of NVIDIA, they're not up 50 or 80 percent. They're up very slightly. And that's the case for this year, for next year, for the following year. So my point is if the AI hype actually materializes, and I think it will over the coming years, that's an upside to stocks wait. today. So, right. Joe, wait, hold on. I know you want to jump in. We seem to be really focused on earnings. I want to bounce something off you. This is from David Costa, new note out today. Uh, the note's called Better Than Fear. It refers to earnings, as we mentioned, 6% above the estimates. He says in part, however, investors have not rewarded stocks posting positive surprises on the day after earnings releasing, uh, after releasing results. Stocks beating consensus expectations 
underperformed by a greater amount than almost any time during the past 18 years. So you're saying it's not AI, it's not earnings either that seems to be moving the market higher. What's, what is keeping the market higher? All right, so let, let, let's stay balanced. So let's give the, the good and the bad, if you would. Please. Um, in July, without question, we went through the financial sector earnings and there was resiliency there. I think there was tremendous concern going into that. Look back upon this month, where did we see the leadership when you look at the equity size classes? It actually is in the Russell. The Russell is the best performer relative to the S&P, the Dow, and the NASDAQ. So I think, that's, I think that's the good. I think when you look forward, here comes August. August can be a volatile month. I don't want to say a difficult month, but it could be a volatile month. In the month of August, you're going to see a significant increase in the need for the Treasury to fund its deficit. The deficit's grown 25% in the first nine months of the fiscal year. So August 8th, 9th, and 10th, you're going to see an increase in three-year, 10-year, 30-year paper. Why do I cite that? Because think about last Thursday, the seven-year auction, the effect of that. So again, that leads to elevated volatility. And I also, and we'll talk about this as the show evolves, but you have to pay attention to what's going on with energy prices right now. Okay. Energy prices moving uncomfortably higher above $80, somewhere around $83 is the high for the year. Have to watch that. So these are things, that's the bad. As you move into the month of August, you lose the effect of earnings, and now you have some macro conditions to keep your eye on. And by the way, the Federal Reserve gets to respond to all that with Jackson Hole. All right, so you're keeping your eye on macro conditions. Are you also watching the falling dollar, which is something that seems to be supporting those oil prices? Well, the falling dollar is something that I think uh, companies significantly benefited from in earnings. So as you look forward, if you begin to see that the dollar doesn't sustain the downtrend, then I believe that it does, okay? If the dollar doesn't sustain the downtrend, then you're going to lose that positive effect that companies have had. And what do we reintroduce? We reintroduce the currency headwind. So I'm kind of giving you the good and the bad. Right. The effect of all of that on price is, I think, a whole lot of nothing in the month of August. But I do think you could see a little bit of an increase in volatility because of all of this. All right. So are, are you keeping your eye out for volatility, Anastasia? Is it something you're worried about? I mean, we've certainly had a lot of smooth sailing through the first you know, six, seven months of the year. I mean, I think it's reasonable to do that at this point. I mean, just about every chart you look at, whether it's the S&P, whether it's the NASDAQ, whether it's any of the individual stocks, whether it's on semi, you know, is all gone parabolic in the last couple of months. And the chart has been perfect to the upside. And we do know that there's quite a bit of length out there. We know that whether it's systematic investors, whether it's hedge funds, whether it's mutual funds, they've all put, you know, cash back to work. So that does set us up for a potential pullback. You know, the question, you know, that I'm struggling with, what is that pullback going to be catalyzed by. You know, Joe, maybe that is Jackson Hole, maybe it's something else. So to the extent that we do have a catalyst, I think we'll have a pullback. But that's one that I would want to buy, given the otherwise soft Are you convinced there's a pullback, though? I mean, is everybody here convinced there's a pullback? I don't know if it's fundamentally driven. I think, listen, the market is definitely technically overextended. You're significantly priced relative to the critical moving averages is significantly far away. I think you're somewhere around 10.5% above the 200-day moving average, about 4.5% above the 50-day moving average. So you are technically overextended, and that's probably more of a reason than anything yep. else to see a correction. I want to bounce one other thing off you. We're going to move on after this one, but uh, no doubt from Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, normally known as kind of an Uber bear. He apologized for being too bearish already. Notes about a 2019-like rally. He says the data we have today suggests to us that we are in a policy-driven late-cycle rally. The latest example of such a period occurred in 2019 
The 2019 analogy in and of itself suggests more index level upside from here, though we know that the Fed was already cutting rates for a good portion of 2019 and the market multiples is already close to one turn higher than where it peaked during that period. I don't I don't really like to talk about 2019 because when you talk about 2019, you realize 2020 came. So I don't want to repeat in any in, in any regard of 2020. You're just trying to block all that sure. out. Um, but the the analogy to 2019, I think I think is somewhat fair. I think there is a little bit of a, ch- a change in the expectation, or at least a slowing down in the unprecedented rate of Federal Reserve rate hikes. I, I think that's reasonable, but I still think there's a lot out there. I don't think another 25 basis points higher is something that could be taken off the table. You know. I, it, Look, in terms of the analogy, whatever, you know, may be fair, may not be fair. Who really cares, right? So what what you've done in terms of, um, I don't think most investors even know what he was talking about. I think he's a great thinker, but in terms of most investors, they're not looking at that. What they're looking at is that stocks are higher, so momentum players are jumping in. People are afraid of missing it, right? Your 5% treasuries, which I own a bunch of, even though I sold a bunch of them, uh, they're still money good. They still look pretty good and still a good a good investment relative to the market. Is the market overbought? Absolutely overbought. What are the catalysts to get it lower? The catalysts are Jackson Hole Equity 1. Nearer term, we'll see wages if they really balloon up. Commodities keep going up. That could be one. And then we've got CPI and PPI next Thursday and Friday. So, you should, but here's my point on volatility and what I'm getting to, is that the economy seems to be reengaging. China, very, very important, critical to the global economy. They're stimulating. Not, not tremendous hammer stimulation like they've done, flooding their market, but they'll get there and they're getting there now. Okay. So volatility is to be embraced. It's not to be feared. Volatility gives you opportunity to both buy and sell. And volatility, by the way, is not risk. It's just movement. Okay. Weiss, we got to leave it there. But I like this new data-driven Weiss. This is a whole just new. I like I'm that. always that's, data-driven. Yeah, that's what I'm He's saying. right. He's I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm saying I'm I like always. it. I'm giving kudos. The only surprise, Frank, is that you're catching on. <laughs> <laughs> a good comeback there, Weiss. All right, we're going to move on. Let's get to our chart of the day. On semi shares moving higher after strong Q2 results. Joe, you own this one, the Joe T ETF. What did you think of the results? And also the guidance, raising the guidance. This is one of my favorite semiconductor names. I've talked about this for the better part of the last several years. And where's the evidence? The evidence is in the growth of the auto revenue, which exceeds a billion dollars in this earnings report. That's up 35% year to date. This is a reasonably valued semiconductor at 20 times. It's one of my favorite names. Now, look, if you're looking at the near term, if you're looking at price action from today, I'll pull up the chart. Well, see, you had a very strong open initially. The stock's pulling back a little bit. Okay, I understand that. You could see some profit taking on that. But any type of um, any type of decline in this stock, there's a buy the dip mentality because this is a stock that has such a moat around the auto revenue, around its uh, chips and, and usage in autos. It has such a moat around it. It's such such significant market share. And it's a name that wasn't talked about a lot right. in the last five or six years. It's a name that's now dominant in the semi-space. So you mentioned that moat. Their business is very levered to the auto business it and is. the EV business. Worried when you hear a Ford saying that they're going to cut production, the demand's soft. Worried when you see an Axios report I just saw. EV stock's up 350% this year. A lot of EVs are just sitting on the lot. Does that worry about the near-term story when it comes to on-semi? Not so much, no, because I think the growth there overall, I think that's cyclical. I don't think that's 
a secular change. I think it's a cyclical change. And I think the company's built up enough strength in the balance sheet. You just heard from the CEO, fantastic job on the network. Um, the company's built up enough strength in the balance sheet that they can endure through any cyclical challenge. Anastasia, SMH actually hit an intraday high today. Chip sector, big run up year to date. Valuations are extended. Does that concern you either about on semi or the rest of the sector? Well, of course, the valuations have expanded a lot since we, since uh, July of 2022. And, you know, maybe that does mean that we're poised for some sort of consolidation. But I actually like two things about semiconductors that are fundamental. First of all, more and more, we're starting to hear talk about inflection points in cyclical demand. All of a sudden, PC demand is a little bit better quarter over quarter. The smartphone demand going into Apple earnings is also expected to be a little bit higher. China is picking up and inventories are being worked down. So all of that kind of tells me that we might finally be seeing a cyclical inflection point. And then, of course, it's the generative AI story. And some semiconductors do have tangible benefit that is tangibly baked into analyst earnings. But that's not the case for every single semiconductor. So I think we're going to hear that more and more uh, in this earnings season from semis. You know, good point about the, uh, the cell phones and the smartphones right now. Dan Ives out with a note. Maintain his price target on Apple. But he says uh, his data shows 100 million new iPhone users in the Apple ecosystem over the last 18 months. So we think of you know, smartphone demand softening. He's saying it's a, it's a pretty bullish trend. Is he saying new or upgrades? He's saying new iPhone users. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to I mean, know where he gets that from. Yeah, we're looking Wait. at the note right here. Services business set to see an acceleration in fiscal year 24, we believe, talking about Wedbush, with another 100 million plus new iPhone users on the Apple ecosystem added over the past 18 months and improving attach rates. So that's, that's his data. Right. So I'd love to ask him if that's new to you as well. Why wouldn't you raise your price target? So but that's a whole separate issue. Look, a Apple, it may keep going, but it's been flat, right? Revenues, earnings basically flat. So that's a typical example of multiple expansion where it's unproven as to what their benefit will be from AI. But in terms of semis, look, you know, we've heard from some semi companies done well. We've heard from others that have it. We've heard from, you know, <laughs> From over in Korea, we heard Samsung talk about, you know, hey, we think we're bottoming, but we've heard that for a number of cycles and their earnings really got trashed. But take a look. Micron, which is a great company, but they're they're in a commodity business. The stock's trading in the 70s now. So a lot is being put into the future on these companies. And you've seen multiple expansion. Joe's been great on on. I sold the stock in the 80s because I thought it was expensive. And under traditional measures, it was expensive. But guess what? It kept going. And they keep selling in advance their full production. So they're a special situation. For others, Qualcomm can't tell me their business has gotten better. All right. I feel like we're going full circle. I mean, we might as well touch on the earnings later this week. We've got Amazon coming up later this week, too. Um, what's your take on Amazon? Do you, do you see it as an inflection point along with Apple for this market? If these earnings come in, you know, as expected, better than expected, is that something that's going to continue to power this rally? So I think about Apple and Amazon, and I listen, I understand Apple technically is, is a technology company in the technology sector, but I think now we begin understanding the state of the consumer, right? So it's Amazon, it's Apple, it's Starbucks, it's PayPal, it's Shopify. Um, earnings expectations for consumer discretionary or for a rise of 22%. The consumer seems to be in a, st a strong position, in a strong condition. If, in fact, that is the case, 
then we should see that reflected in the earnings of both Apple and Amazon. And I think that's the interpretation that I'm going to get as a result of these earnings. What's the state of the consumer? Wise, you own Amazon, right? I mean, I do. what are I your do. expectations for this report? How important is it to hear something about AI on this report? I know you said AI is not powering yeah. the whole market and there's no big meaningful transformation, but I think a lot of people are anticipating something here. Well, they've actually been talking about it. You know, it's been leaked out. They've been working on AI, integrating those tools into their cloud, which you have to do, otherwise you won't be competitive. So what I'm really looking for is, has cloud growth stabilized, has it increased? They grew at 19%. Google came out and they said, look, we're seeing a reacceleration a little bit. So I think that'll be the case with them as well. Consumer business actually is less important. Cloud funds the entire company. So we need to see AWS show some good numbers, at least no further deterioration. And also ad, ad dollars, right? Each of the big players has seen ad dollars increase to them. So we need to see that as well. And I just have a suspicion that Amazon on the retail side has done well. So I'm looking forward to a good quarter. Better be. The stock has moved up nicely. Right. Uh, it's not a cheap stock, but it never is a cheap stock. So the valuation is already set in stone as it being an expensive stock. I think we can all agree two big reports after the bell on Thursday. A lot yeah. of people will be watching potential market movers. Um, as we've also mentioned, we get a jobs report on Friday, and we have senior CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. He has a rapid update ahead of that number. Steve, what do you got? Uh, the GDP outlook has, uh, has really changed, uh, Frank. Surprisingly strong consumer spending and income reports last week have economists sharply boosting their outlook for economic growth for the third quarter, raising the question if there's really going to be a soft landing at all. Economists raising the opening forecast for the third quarter Trend like 1.7%, that's where we start, and that's up from a really stall speed of 0.3%, which was expected uh, in our June survey. This follows a pattern where you can see it. Look to the first two quarters there uh, of consistently or serially underestimating the economy where forecasts have trailed the actual performance of the economy. The slowdown has now been pushed ahead again. This time you can see there on the right to the fourth quarter of this year and beyond. A warning. It's way early in the quarter. There isn't very much data. These forecasts will be revised sharply as the data come in. But the way GDP is calculated, consumers don't need to raise their spending in the rest of the quarter very much at all for spending to still be measured as healthy because June was so strong. Now, interestingly, the forecasters in the survey, they're much better when it comes to their inflation outlooks. As of now, they see inflation coming in at 4.2 this quarter, dropping slowly to 2.9 by the first quarter of next year. One result of declining inflation, year-over-year -year growth in real disposable personal income now above pre-pandemic levels, so consumers should have the ability to continue spending, though some of that spending power is going to be sapped away by the resumption of student loan payments. But just, um, uh, Frank, don't mistake the idea that some things that could sort of drag on growth necessarily will crater it. All right, Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Steve, great reporting as always. Anastasia, I want to turn it over to you. What did you make of what Steve said? I thought it was really interesting what he said about June kind of carrying over into this month and beyond for the GDP report. Yeah, I think if we look at economic data, we look at retail sales, we look at, for example, real wages for the consumer, all of that bodes well for spending into the third quarter. And in fact, the first, you know, the first month has kind of suggested as much. I mean, if I look at the labor market dashboard right now, the fact that average hourly earnings have inflected from being down 2 or 3% at some point last year to now being up 1.2%, that's a great positive for the spending powers, for the GDP, for Amazon earnings and so forth. You know, the fact that 
that you've got labor force participation, for example, for prime age workers that is now well north of 83 percent, that bodes well for the Fed. And that tells you that there's more supply of labor that's coming into the economy and that is helping rebalance the labor market. So I think all we're checking a lot of the signs that tell us that we're on pace for the soft landing. All right. So certainly a lot to watch there. Uh, stay with Halftown. We have a major trade alert coming up. Weiss just sold a stock that he has owned for years. So tell us what made him ring the register. More Halftime. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Halftime. We now have a trade alert. Steve, you just made a big move in one of your longtime holdings. I did, Frank. So, uh, so as I said a couple months ago, I severely pared back my position in Moderna. Uh, and it, it was such a small position uh, that I decided to sell the rest of it because they had a good announcement last week. It was either Thursday or Friday. Their cancer vaccine with Merck was going to phase three earlier than expected. What did the, the stock do? It traded down. So I still believe that Moderna will be probably the most valuable biotech company in the world at some point. But if you look at their pipeline, what's up is flu's immediate, new COVID shots. I don't think there's going to be much of an uptake in new COVID shots at all. So they can't rely on that. They still have an incredible balance sheet. RSV, it's a competitive market. They have RSV for pediatric. That's going to be good. But again, that's a way. So personalized cancer, said with Merck, other cancer vaccines, HIV, et cetera, et cetera. The pipeline in, in both vaccines and therapeutics is absolutely outstanding. But biotech, unfortunately, is event-driven, and we're not going to see any major events. So if I didn't think I had other places to put the capital, I probably would have held on to that tag end, but I didn't. So... So you're not very optimistic about earnings. Earnings before the bell on Thursday, I believe. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm not okay. holding on or trading for one quarter. It didn't come to my thought process at all. No idea what the quarter is going to be. I don't know why it'll be any worse than, than what they guided or any better. It's going to be right in line. But that's not what's going to move the stock. And the technically, when you take a look at it, it's making new lows. So keep in mind, I first got into the stock in the 20s. I think it was 20 plus $20 or right. whatever. Trading at a buck bought eight, it, 18 right now. Right. So. Bought it also at much higher levels than where it is now. Now, have traded, I think, rather successfully. It's been a, a really nice winner for me. But at this point, I'm looking forward to coming back into it. Yeah, kind of a big week when it comes to healthcare earnings. In addition yeah. to Moderna, you've got a no- number of other names Merck, Vertex, Humana, Amgen. Uh, yeah. I want to talk to you, Anastasia, more broadly about healthcare. It's been a laggard all year long. 
Do you see a rebound in the second half? Do you see people maybe chasing what could be that rebound in the second half? I don't see the catalyst for it at this point, Frank. And when I look at the healthcare sector, you either play offense with parts of healthcare like biotech, for example, or you play defense with, for example, big pharma. And if I think about playing offense, I mean, I think Steve made a great point is that a lot of biotech is event driven and whether that M&A is going to be materialized or not. But I also think a better way for investors to think about playing biotech might actually be in private markets because you don't take this, you know, significant risk of significant volatility in biotech stocks at a publicly traded. So I don't quite see the cattle is there. And on the defensive side, looking at the big pharma names, they're down about 3.6%. If you actually look at the earnings estimates for Q2, they're down for healthcare, you know, about 26% after Merck, uh, you know, some Merck adjustments. So um, look, longer term, I am definitely a big bull on healthcare because there's so much R&D capital that is going into the space and that's going to produce significant drug discoveries, but that takes time. And near term, you know, the markets move on sentiment. So I either need the defensive side to work or the offensive one, but I just don't see the catalyst right now. Yeah, I think that's a great observation, in particular for biotech. In this environment where risk appetite is returning to the market, biotech's not performing. And you would think that would be the offensive-oriented aspect of healthcare. Um, I'm in the IBB, that's a biotech ETF that's more large cap relative to the XBI. IBB is down year to date at some point this week. After, Third year in a row, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. and at some point this week after the rebalance uh, for the JOT ETF, um, I'll take a look at the IBB right. position. and It's probably something that I would be liquidating, but I've been somewhat surprised. Look, there was an obvious pull forward on the COVID beneficiary for overall for the healthcare sector. And a lot of people like to say, yes, growth, um, growth is there, but there's also, there's the offense and the defense element to healthcare, right? But I think what we're learning is, as a money manager said to me recently, healthcare is still thought of as a defensive play. And we witnessed that in 2022. And in 2023, capital is just not returning mm -hmm. to the healthcare. It's actually leaving healthcare because it's not giving you that offensive nature that we expected it would. All right, something to continue to watch. Just looking at the IBB down a half a percent today. All right, time now to get to the headlines. We have Seema Modi. Seema, good afternoon. Hi, Frank Holland. Let's start in Israel, where they are calling the historic first in that country. All 15 Supreme Court judges will hear arguments against the law passed as part of a judicial overhaul. Protests breaking out after the bill was ratified last week. It will limit the court's powers and void some decisions made by government officials and ministers. A spokesperson saying the hearing in September will mark the first time in the country's history an extended bench would side. Lori Vallow Daybell faces life in prison without parole at her sentencing hearing today. She was found guilty of murdering her two youngest children and conspiring to kill her husband's previous wife. The Idaho hearing is expected to include several victim impact statements, including one from her only surviving son. Barbenheimer continues to dominate at the box office. Warner Brothers' Barbie is the top movie for the second straight weekend. The film has made nearly $775 million. Sister company Universal's Oppenheimer holding on to the number two spot, bringing in a total $400 million worldwide. Not bad. Frank, yeah. back to you. Well, Seema, have you, have you seen either movie? I have seen neither one because I've been traveling, but I, I will now that I'm back. How about you? <laughs> I have not seen either. I'm going to wait for Oppenheimer to Let's come on together. TV. I, I don't know if I'll ever go see Barbie. I'm just going to be honest. Oppenheimer's <laughs> great. I'll, I'll let Joe talk about Barbie, but Oppenheimer, All right. it was This tremendous. can't turn to Cisco and Eber. we got to get going. Seema, thank you very much. Coming up, investing in the AI craze, how it's playing out on the ETF space. That's coming up next on Halftime. Okay.
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We are back on halftime now to our Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Bob. Thanks, Frank. No matter how you slice it, any ETF with the name artificial intelligence is outperforming everything this year. Whether it's index-based or actively managed, market cap, equal weight, it doesn't matter. With the S&P up 19%, four ETFs that invest in artificial intelligence themes are up anywhere from 30% to 46%. But is there enough for investors to invest in, aside from those few tech names you all know about? Let's talk with Rich Lee. He's the head of program trading, ETF trading and execution strategy over at Baird. Rich, these AI ETFs have a lot of familiar names in them. I see NVIDIA, I see Meta, I see Salesforce, I see Microsoft. But there are attempts to get broader coverage out there. What, what else is available to investors who want to invest in AI using ETFs sure, right now? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Bob. Uh, if you think about these names, obviously the household names that we commonly associate with uh, with AI. However, if you look at these ETFs, if you look at AIQ, which is a cap-weighted index, and you look at WTI or iRobo, which is equal-weighted index, there's anywhere between 86 to in excess of 150 stocks in each of these ETFs. So there is a broader exposure to names that are effectively in the AI space. Um, what's interesting about that, though, is there also, there's also global exposure. So a couple of things. If you want market cap-weighted uh, exposure, high stock concentrations, similar to SPYs, or you can move to something like RSP, which is equal weight. Same thing with WTAI and iRobo. Yeah, the important thing is IRBO, those other ones, they have over 100 names in them. It's not, right. you're not just owning Microsoft. So here's the problem I have for ETF investors. Uh, we had other hot topics. We had cannabis, we had crypto. Uh, so the current choices are narrower than most want to believe in. So some, some are arguing the AI revolution should be broadening out and investors are gonna have wider choices. Dan Ives has been very big about this. What other tech companies for the moment might benefit from tech? Sure. Maybe more than just four names. Absolutely, so we're definitely in the early innings of the AI revolution and names you're gonna see uh, start to emerge in the space are things like Snowflake, which is looking at data warehousing for AI, or things like Oracle, which is partnering with NVIDIA for, for, for their cloud databases. Yeah, MongoDB, uh, we talked about IBM, you brought up Meta and, and stuff before. This, this AI revolution uh, might affect a lot more than tech companies, and this intrigues me a lot. Julian Emanuel, our friend over at Evercore ISI, was out with a note over the weekend saying, you really should look at industrial companies like uh, Eaton and Ingersoll Rand that are involved in industrial automation, which is rife for disruption using AI right now. And we've seen these stocks move. That's right, and you wouldn't commonly associate industrial stocks with AI, but definitely as it starts to take hold in other industries, we're going to start to see productivity gains in it, especially Eaton and Ingersoll Rand, which are looking at automation 
productivity gains and, and smart devices, we'll start to see potentially AI play a role in that going forward. Yeah, and those stocks are up 30% this year. So it, smart investors have already caught on. It's about industrial automation uh, in that particular space. Okay, we're going to have much more coming up on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to dig deeper into broader opportunities in the AI space using exchange-traded funds. Rich will be joined by Todd Rosenbluth. He's the head of research at Vetify. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Frank, back to you. All right, Bob, looking forward to it. Coming up next on Halftime, energy leading the way today as the top gainer in the sector gets a big buy call. We'll see if the committee agrees our call today. That's coming up next on Halftime. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Let's get to our call today on Chevron, upgraded to buy a Goldman. Price target goes to 187. Joe, you own this one. I do own this. Uh, this is an excellent report by Goldman Sachs. It talks about the inflection point and free cash flow. The Permian production is what's so compelling. 772 uh, barrels per day. They will take that up to a million barrels per day at some point. The Permian is exactly where you want to be. So there has been significant underperformance for Chevron relative to the S&P over the last year. It's basically flat while the S&P is up 11%. That's been on the struggles that energy has had as a sector. But here we go, energy now beginning to reignite itself once again, spot price of oil moving higher towards the high uh, for the year. I totally agree with this call. I look at energy. I see the ownership that we have in the quality momentum JOT strategy, which is nearly 11%, given the S&P is only 4%. I still believe that's warranted. I still think it's credible. I think the energy market is what you want to focus on as we move towards the fall. And let's remember something, month to date, energy is the leading sector. All right, interesting point. I want to bounce something all, all of you uh, from BTIG, Jonathan Krinsky out with a new note just a short time ago saying in part, WTI crude is having its best month since January of 2022. It's nearing an important area of resistance around 82, 83 bucks, but clearing that would suggest a new trading range and could be a, a headwind for equities as inflation picks back up. Anastasia, I'm going to come over to you. Should we be worried about these rising oil prices and the idea that with Saudi Arabia and their voluntary cuts, the potential of China actually reaccelerating, as we've all hoped they are, it could cross this area of resistance and then weigh on uh, equities in the back half of the year? I don't think it's the same sort of worry that we had in early 2022. I mean, yes, we may have some pop in energy prices because we are, by the way, now moving into the deficit months in terms of the global supply, oil de global oil demand uh, and supply. So we could see higher oil prices. But look, it's a small part of the CPI basket. And the fact that you've got all the other forces now working in a disinflationary fashion, I think that's what's going to be more important for the Fed. So for the Fed, I think they're going to focus on wages coming down. They're going to focus on you know, housing prices starting to ease up or rent prices, I should say. So I don't think it's that sort of event. But for energy equities, you know, I would agree with Joe that, you know, XLE, for example, bounced, I think, 14 percent of, you know, the drop that it had, because I do think prices in the 80s or maybe 90s on oil are sustainable. Any thoughts? I know you have some exposure, Freeport, Mac Moran. Um, what do you think about what Krinsky had to say in general, the idea of, of a rising oil market putting pressure on equities? Well, I have a little more exposure because I own the Joe T, which has exposure about an 8 or 9%. 11%. So, 11%. Uh, so I'm doing better than I thought there. Uh, look, I think, I think Krinsky's right. I mean, he's a, he's a great you know, uh, chartist. Uh, 
Commodities are one of those things that rely more on technicals than equities. So if you do get through resistance, resistance will, will become your support. But the same's happening with Freeport. So Freeport, which is what I own, FCX, copper, I like that more because I think it's a little more predictable because less political headwinds or tailwinds. So it trades more in the fundamentals, I believe. And of course, speculators market, as is oil, but I think less so. And then with what you're seeing in autos, what you're seeing in EVs, you've got an insatiable appetite for copper. There's only so much you can bring out because it takes so long to get a mine up and running to permit them, not here, but just everywhere. All right, certainly something to watch. Oil on a bit of a run, having a really strong July. All right, coming up next on Halftime, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Halftime will be back right after this. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. Welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. Mike, looking at the markets, pretty flat. Pretty flat. Uh, things are pretty comfortable. I think a lot of folks are saying if you look at the actual displayed behavior of the market and what it is typically meant looking ahead, um, it's hard to really argue with the continued bullish case, at least as a default. Now, what I mean by that is five straight up months. If you look at that's happening in the past, usually it's followed by further gains. When the market's up 10 percent for a year in the first half, all that stuff kind of fits you into that uh, almanac style bullishness that says, oh, you know what? When we get this overbought and stay this way, it usually means a bull market is underway. I do think that it's going to be time to wonder if we're building toward a moment when we're a little bit too complacent about the fact that the outlook uh, is is now uh, pretty sturdy. So I don't know that we're there yet. Um, It does seem as if earnings are doing enough. To keep, the, uh, to keep people uh, involved. And also, the market keeps acting as if people don't have enough exposure. I don't right. see if, how that can be really the case, but that's the way it does act. Not a lot of selling pressure. So you're saying we're building towards a moment. Obviously, we have three big moments coming up later this yeah. week. Apple and Amazon earnings on Thursday, jobs report on Friday. Which one of those do you see as being the biggest inflection point? It's so hard to handicap what the big cap earnings mean because, you know, we can all look at there's 80 analysts on every one of these companies. They're going to probably surprise at the upside, but how it's going to be reflected in the uh, price action, we don't know. So I'm going to set those aside because, by the way, since big cap earnings have started, the market hasn't done much. It's kind of gone sideways. That's what it usually does. The winners win, the losers lose. It nets out to not very much movement. Um, I do think the jobs report matters. We're going to start talking about higher oil. Uh, if we have better growth, does it mean yields have to settle at a higher point? Uh, and, and what does it mean uh, for the Fed? So all that stuff, I think, is, is probably a little more relevant. All right. Mike Santoli, Senior Markets Commentator. Great to have you on as always. All right. Grab my trade. That's coming up next on Halftime. We will be right back. Time time now for Grave by Trade. We're going to start off with Anastasia. Patrick in New York wants to know, what are the prospects for the utility sector in the coming year? 
Hi, Patrick. Well, it's not my favorite trade because when I think about utilities, which, by the way, are down 5% year to date, I think about defense. And again, I think we don't want to play defense just yet pre-trading a recession. So I don't think the investor flows will follow there. Also, if yields are, in fact, going to rise a little bit higher because we have a soft landing or a no landing narrative, also that doesn't vote for utilities. Having said that, when I look at the consensus of analysts and some of the implied uh, distance to price targets, it's about 9% for 12 months out. So if those materialize that maybe you'll do fine in utilities, kind of in line with the S&P, but I think there are places to, to, to do better. Again, you can do that within the sector as well, looking at some of the individual utilities picks. All right, next one's for Weiss. John in L.A., is, he's down 44% in Alibaba. He wants to know, should he cut his losses? Well, first of all, in terms of grading, it didn't need to get a master's in education to grade that trade if you're down 44%. But here's what I'd say. Um, I'd stick with it. I just started buying it. Uh, I think the stock could double from here. I mean, it's very, very cheap. Forget about having lost money on it. I think you'll recover it all and then some. China is going to continue to stimulate, as we talked about. Youth unemployment, they talk about at 21%. We know it's higher, and that doesn't include rural. So talk about the non-rural. I mean, young people want to work in tech. So what do you do? What's he trying to do? He's trying to get the tech industry to grow at a much faster rate. To me, that means BABA. They've got a number of spinoffs. I like the stock quite a bit. Wait, so is it a, a good grade or a bad grade? It's going to be a good grade because it, the, it's, the course isn't over yet. We're only at mid-semester. <laughs> We're at summer break now. So when he comes back to class, okay. you know. It's like a long-term paper. Professor Weiss right here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one's for Joe. Joseph in Michigan bought MasterCard at 296 Should he trim or should he sell or should he hold? All right, so that's an A+. Plus. For the grade, okay. let's, let's be real simple. Clear grading that. system. Yeah, clear grading system. Yeah. And then if, if you're going to sell, trim, or, or, or think about holding, well, if you're going to sell a trim, tell me what you're going to replace MasterCard with in the financial sector because it's one of the better performing and more qualitative companies in the financial sector. So you have to find something in the financial sector to replace it with. All right, Professor Terranova with a very clear grading strategy. I think all classes, all classes like that. All right, final trades. They're coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Uber set to report earnings before the bell tomorrow. Let's get this set up. Weiss, you own this one. Yes, I do. Look, CEO's done a phenomenal job. That's unquestionable. They've almost got the industry to themselves, right? Lyft is trying to make a comeback, but Uber is just so dominant. So this is not a cheap stock, as so many stocks are. So all you have to do is continue to see the momentum in the, record, in the, in the reporting, and I think the stock does pretty well. There's no room for them to miss, however. It's had a nice move over the last month as well. Yeah. You mentioned they don't really have a lot of competition, but Lyft trades at a, a much lower valuation. It is the same business. As it should. Isn't there room for two rideshare companies in the U.S.? There is room for two rideshare companies in the U.S., but, uh, you know, they made decision lift a long time ago. It's one of the reasons why the founders step aside is that we're just going to be rideshare in the U.S., okay. whereas Uber is just more things international. So you can't compare it to. Final trades now, Anastasia, you are up first. Uh, private equity ECF uh, with both well for private equity into the second half of the year is that I think the global IPO market can pick up. And if it does, that means more exit and that means more opportunities to redeploy capital. Yeah. Been long EQT since the low 30s and probably going to sell half. And real quick on Uber, gap net income profitability. That's a key metric, whether they can go in the S&P or not. Weiss? I left that for Joe to say, by the way. Uh, 
Baidu. I gave you Baba Baidu for the same reasons. All right, there we go. We'll leave it there. That was a quick one. That's going to do it for us here on Halftime. The Exchange starts now with Kelly Evans. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.